He is risen. Amen. Woo! I tell you, I am so grateful this morning and uh, to celebrate with you, Crosspoint, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to take some time and really look at the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection this morning. And the, the text I want to go to is one that we've kind of been looking at for a couple of weeks. I want to go to John chapter 20 and look at verses 19 through 23. So I've got it up on the screen, but you can also pull it up on your phone or in your Bible. And uh, this will be kind of our Resurrection Sunday text um, for this year. John chapter 20 and verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, you might wonder why Christians celebrate church on Sunday morning or Sunday. It's the first day of the week, and it's because it's the Lord's Day. This is the day that Jesus is risen. So the Sabbath kind of changed for us. It used to be Saturday, and then resurrection became Lord's Day. And we come together as Christians every week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So on the evening of of the first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came... And stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. He is risen. It's a historic fact for us. He showed the disciples his scars, his hands, his side. So this is real. This is happening. This is real, you should say something. (laughs) And they were glad that they saw the Lord. They were glad. And I've always thought every year when we come around to this particular Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I've always thought, you know, I know that there are people who don't believe that Jesus actually defeated death physically. And I don't know if if I find that completely unreasonable. If I were not born again, if I were not a believer, I wouldn't believe he he defeated death either. It's kind of a rare thing to defeat death, amen? It's not unreasonable to go, "I, I don't know if that really happened. I don't know if Jesus really defeated death. But the one thing I think we can all agree upon, whether we're believers or unbelievers, skeptics, even the most adamant atheist, I think we could all agree that we should want Jesus to be alive. We should want Jesus to have defeated death. We should want this to be true. Number one, because Jesus is awesome. I mean, when you listen to his preaching, I mean, anyone who turned water into wine, I'm on his side, amen? Anyone who walks on water, I'm I'm for him. Anyone who can feed the poor and 5,000 with a few 
pieces of bread and some fish, I'm for. Anyone who could, who could say you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and love your neighbors yourself, I hope he defeated death. Because everything he did and everything he said was beautiful. I'm, I want Jesus to be alive. I can't understand how anyone would go out there and say, well, I hope it's not true. But not only because Jesus is so great, but because you and I must face death. I want Jesus to have defeated death because I'm going to have to face death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. I want that to be true. I am a limited human being. The span of my life compared to eternity is a dot on a string. I, I will face death any moment. It could happen today. I want Jesus to be alive so that I can believe in him and I can live with him forever. That death will not be the closing chapter of my life. I want Jesus to have defeated death because I've lost loved ones who have believed in Jesus. Have you? And the promise for me is that they're alive with Jesus now. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I want Jesus to be alive. I want Jesus to be alive because evil is real. There's an influence and a power that's controlling people. There's an influence because of our sinful nature that we're attracted to. The influence of darkness. The influence of Satan and demons. The influence of doing harmful things and doing unreasonable thing, things as reasonable people. There's evil and there's Satan and there's demons. And the Bible tells me that if Jesus is alive, he has triumphed over evil. He has triumphed over Satan. He has triumphed over darkness so that all who believe in him will likewise come under a new influence. We should want Jesus to be alive. We should want this more than anything in the world. It is good news if Jesus is alive. And wanting it doesn't necessarily make it true. But I believe it's true because eyewitnesses saw him. I believe it because 500 people saw him. I believe it because I stand here today as a forgiven sinner in the presence of God. Jesus is alive. And while we could outline any one of these wonderful reasons why we should want him to be alive, the one I want to focus on today is I want to focus on forgiveness. We should believe that Jesus is alive for the sake of our forgiveness. I wrote down, I want to make this real personal today. I wrote down in my notes, because Christ is risen, I am forgiven. This, this idea came to me over and over this week, and I thought, man, that's, that's my sermon. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Because Christ is risen, I am forgiven. I love that the risen Christ, in showing himself to the disciples, the first thing he offers them is peace and forgiveness, and the first mission he gives to them is forgiveness. In fact, look at it again in John 20 and verse 22. Because Christ is risen, I am forgiven. It says in verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
Now quickly on the teaching on this passage, this is kind of a confusing passage and it's been kind of interpreted different ways. Is Jesus given the church authority to forgive people? And if the church doesn't forgive people, they are not forgiven. Or is Jesus not giving us the ability to make forgiveness for other people, but to confirm forgiveness for other people? Now, I'm not going to go into all the reasons and all the different arguments. We'll do that on another Sunday. (laughs) Amen. But our position is we can't make forgiveness for anybody, but we can confirm forgiveness for people. That Christians in the church have been given the message of forgiveness and we are able to evaluate based on somebody's testimony if they are forgiven or not. If someone says, I believe Jesus died for my sins and defeated death and we hear their testimony, then we can say, we believe you're forgiven based on the word of your testimony in believing in Jesus Christ. However, likewise, if the world should come to us and say, I have forgiveness with God and I don't need Jesus. I have forgiveness with God and I don't need your gospel. I have forgiveness with God and love with God that will take me to heaven without Jesus. Then we have the right as Christians to say we disagree. The risen Christ has told us that there's one way to find forgiveness with God. And that is through his passion and his burial and his resurrection. That by by faith alone are we assured of our forgiveness Ultimately, what Jesus is telling the church to do is disciples and all believers is to go out into the world and to offer a forgiveness that Jesus made for them on the cross and in his resurrection. But you see that the primary thing that Jesus gives to us, the first thing he gives to us in his resurrection appearance is he gives to us forgiveness. And because Christ is risen, I am forgiven. And I love this word forgiveness. I love it for two reasons. First of all, I love the word forgiveness because it's relational. It's a relational word. It assumes that there once was a relationship and that relationship has been broken. An intimate relationship has been broken. I like forgiveness. It's so unique to, to Christian theology because in ancient mythology and with all the beliefs of religions and gods, forgiveness was rarely thought of or used in relationship to the mythological gods of the New Testament time. You know, if, if you're walking along the street in the ancient world with your buddy and your buddy gets struck by lightning and you don't get struck by lightning, you don't go, hey, I got forgiven today. You go, bad luck for him. The gods just decided to kill him and not me. When Jesus offers us forgiveness, he's offering us a relationship. He's offering us something that was lost. What has happened to humanity? Humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. Humanity has sinned against God. God, our maker, our father, created us in his image to be in relationship with him. God breathed into us the breath of life and created us to exist with him in a garden forever. And because of original sin, because of Adam and Eve's original sin, that relationship has been broken. And Jesus came, and the reason why he died on the cross was not for religious reasons. The reason he died on the cross was for relationship reasons. The reason why he died on the cross was to take the offense that separated us from God. 
The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took physical death. He took spiritual death. He said, my God, why have you forsaken? He took the wrath of God in our place. All the penalty and the guilt of our sin was laid on his body. He took it in our place. And on the third day, he showed himself risen. And the first thing he does is he says, look at my scars. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Peace be with you. You're forgiven. That relationship, that intimate relationship that was lost has been restored. And I love that idea because what we have to offer the world as a church, what you and I as Christians have to offer to the world is a relationship with God. Not a religion, but a a relationship filled with love and harmony and peace and a walk. Because Christ is risen, I am forgiven. The second reason I love this word forgiveness is because it points to the fact that it costs something. If you were to look up the word forgiveness, what you would find is that it means to pardon or to remit or to pay a penalty. In other words, it's impossible to experience forgiveness or it's impossible to give forgiveness unless a Unless somebody is willing to take on a cost or a debt or a payment, someone is willing to absorb a cost. Forgiveness is never free. If, If you've ever had to forgive somebody of an offense, you know this. You can't just forgive somebody and it doesn't, there's no consequences. What forgiveness is, is it means I'm willing to absorb the consequences of your offense without holding it against you. I'm willing to bear the scars and to live for the rest of my life, maybe never the same because of an offense that you've done against me. And yet I'm not going to hold it against you. In fact, I'm going to do the very opposite. I'm going to treat you as if you have never offended me or hurt me. Anyone who's been abused or who's been deeply hurt by people and and their life is never going to be the same understands the power and sometimes the impossibility of forgiveness. Because it's one thing to say, I forgive you. It's another thing to never hold it against you that you offended me in the first place. Now imagine this. We offended God. We sinned against God. And Jesus, in offering his scars to us, and offering his resurrection, he is confirming that on the cross he was willing to take the cost. And for those who believe in him, to never hold it against them. God is willing to treat you and I in Jesus Christ as if we had never sinned before. And you say, how can I know that? How can I be assured of that forgiveness? Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive. Some people might say, wow, it took a lot for God to forgive us. That's right, it did. Why couldn't God just look at me and say, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole hassle of the eternal son of God, leaving the angels, coming down to earth, going and living on earth and walking on water and dealing with 12 stubborn disciples. 
being rejected and dragged through the streets and betrayed and going through the piercings and the, and the crown of thorns on his head and the nails into his hands and his feet. I, I'm just going to, you know what, Josh, I'm just going to forgive you. We ask ourselves, why did it take so much? Why did the eternal Son of God have to come down and die on the cross and defeat death? Why all the drama? I've got four daughters. Sometimes I ask that. Why all the drama? Have you ever asked that at work or at home? Why all the drama? We look at God. Why why all this drama? And the reason why is because when you and I sinned against God, we were sinning against an infinite good. We were sinning against the eternal holy God. So holy is God that even Isaiah, when he stood in the temple of God and he experienced the holiness of God, Isaiah knew not only had his people sinned against God, but he himself had sinned against God. God is so holy and so good that to sin against such a valuable, infinite good requires an infinite, valuable sacrifice in order to be forgiven by an infinite God. The, the best illustration I've heard on this point is, you know, it's kind of like if, if you go and you steal a stick of gum and you get caught, well, you might get slapped on the wrist a little bit because, you know, it's like worth, what, a buck fifty? You know what I mean? If you come into my house and steal something from my house, that's a whole other story because I am a holy man of God and a pastor. How could you steal from me? But if you break into the White House and still against the President of the United States, no matter what you think of him, you're going to go to jail for a very long time. And if you sin against a holy God, the payment for that is an eternal punishment. What was the cost for God? To treat me as if I'd never sinned against him. What was the cost for him to forgive me? The cost was the eternal son of God. Absorbing the eternal wrath of God in my place. And when he comes out of that tomb and he shows me his scars. He said I was willing to take these scars. So that the father will not hold it against you. And not only won't hold it against you. But will restore you to a full unqualified harmonious relationship with God. Forgiveness is costly. And because Christ is risen, I am forgiven. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven too. But you have to ask yourself a question. Do you believe that you've offended a holy God? Do you believe that you've rebelled against God? Do you believe that you have willfully broken this relationship and it's, it's, been, it's been separated and severed? Are you separated from God and do you know it? And if so, how are you going to get back? And the gospel answer is the resurrected Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you will be reconciled to your heavenly father and he will welcome you and love you and give you peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I restore you to a harmonious relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Christ is risen, we are forgiven. This is good news. This is why we celebrate the empty grave. Not just because it's a spectacular miracle, but because it's a spectacular foundation for a transformed life. 
Because I am risen, Christ is forgiven. That's my introduction. Here's my sermon. Are you ready? Three applications. Number one, enjoy God. Enjoy God. Because it took so much for God to restore us in his relationship, enjoy him. Some of you might be believers in Jesus Christ, but you're carrying around satanic guilt, and that guilt is telling you that Jesus' death is not enough to forgive you. You are forgiven in Christ. Accept it and don't waste it. Enjoy God. Why don't you delight in God? Why would you not take the scars that he offers you and says that is proof that your penalty has been paid. That is proof that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is proof that you have peace from God in Jesus Christ. Walk in the identity of the risen Christ. And what that means is to enjoy Christ. And when you fall down, get back up. When you find yourself tempted by evil, replace evil with a delight in God. Push back the darkness, walk into the light, turn from Satan and darkness and sin and start delighting in God. The world is trying to tell believers to enjoy other things in the place of God. And the whole reason why Christ is risen is so that you and I could walk with him, we could worship him, we could sing to him, we can read his scripture, we can enjoy his people, we can walk on earth for divine purposes. There is nothing that we need from this world anymore. There is no more negotiation because Christ is risen, I'm forgiven, and I can enjoy God. Do you enjoy God? Is He your Father? Are you receiving His words into your life? Enjoy God. Because Christ is risen, I'm forgiven. So I'm going to enjoy Him. I'm not going to waste this forgiveness. I'm not going to waste this peace. I'm not going to waste this grace. I'm going to enjoy God. I am determined today with you, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, to enjoy God in my life. And I want my daughters to see me enjoying God. I want my wife to see me enjoying God. I want the people that are work worth seeing me enjoy God. I'm going to enjoy God. I'm not going to let anything separate me from his love and my affections for him. Enjoy God. The second thing I thought of, here's another application. Help your church spread the good news of God. Jesus said, the risen Christ said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And what's he saying? Church, you got a job to do. That's what he's saying. He's giving us mission and vision as a church. You say, what's Cross Point Church all about? Cross Point Church is all about making more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. And because the message that we represent with Jesus is forgiveness, that means that we are not a museum. 
We're not a museum just to come and kind of see the same thing over and over and over again and go through the same routine over and over again. No, we're not a museum. We are a hospital, and we are inviting the sick to come in and be restored in their relationship with God. You're going out into a whole world that is looking for a relationship they don't even know that they want, but they want it. They want God in their life, and they are hurt. People are hurt without God. They're trying to figure out relationships without God. They're trying to figure out marriage without God. They're trying to figure out money without God. They're trying to figure out economy and politics without God. And it's impossible. Nothing can fill the void in their life except for God. And the way that they experience God is they come in here limping and hurt and broken and and beat up. And they beat up themselves and they've been beat up and they beat up other people. And what we got to do is we got to be a hospital cross point we got to invite them in, and it's going to get messy. Everybody say messy. We ain't pretty here. Amen? You can, you can tell I'm not pretty. You're kind of pretty, but... It's uncomfortable. We live in a post-Christian world. We don't live in a world where we can go out there and go, Jesus lives. And everybody, oh, wow, I'll believe in that. You live in a post-modern, post-Christian, post-truth, post-rational, post-gender, post-everything else that's meaningful world. And we got to go out there because everybody's just absolutely devastated by this post-world. And we got to offer them the love of God. We got to be a church where we say, you can come here and investigate. We want to share with you the message of forgiveness. We've received the Holy Spirit for the purpose of sharing Jesus. We've received peace so that we can share peace. We've received forgiveness so that we can forgive. We are a church for the hurt. We're not a museum. We're a hospital. We're not intimidated by a postmodern world. The the disciples, they were operating in a pre-modern world. A pre-Christian world, a pre-truth world, a pre-rational world, a pre-science world. So if they can, with the Holy Spirit, change the world, you and I can change somebody. We can invite somebody. We can share a testimony with somebody. We can give an invite card to come to church to somebody. We can become a church where we're inviting and inviting the whole world to come and experience forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. Because Christ is risen, anyone can be forgiven. No one is a lost cause. If I can stand up here and tell you about Jesus, if God can pull me out of the hell I was in, he can pull anybody out of the hell they're in. No one is a lost cause. We love all people because God has loved us, and we want to offer to all people the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Enjoy God, spread God. And here's the final thing. This might be for somebody here. This might be the whole reason why I'm here today. If you are so greatly forgiven, then you've got somebody to forgive in your life. Jesus is risen from the grave so that we don't have to carry bitterness and grudges. Jesus is risen so as believers we can forgive other people. The Lord's prayer is, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven 
the sins of others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And this world is filled with a pollutant. This world is filled with a pollutant of anger and bitterness and a lot of harbored unforgiveness and a lot of broken relationships and a a lot of abuse that's happened and and, and the need for revenge and the the need to strike back and you strike my cheek, I'm going to strike you on your cheek. You ask me to go a mile, I'll, I'll pull you down a road a mile. That's the world you live in. And the gospel, the risen Christ, offers us a way out, and that's forgiveness. That's to look at some of our enemies in our life and to say, I am willing to take these scars and not hold it against you. Even the worst of abuse cases, even the worst of situations, the worst of enemies, Jesus is calling you to let go of that past, to stop looking in the rearview mirror at past failures of other people and start looking ahead to what God has for you. And the way forward is forgiveness. And that might not mean that you can get in the room with that person. It might not mean that you can ever see them or talk to them again. But in your heart, you're going to have to take the consequences. Because if you don't, It will only make it worse. You've got to be a forgiving people. You've got to forgive one another. You've got to forgive your wives and your husbands and your kids and your moms and your dads and your, your bosses. You've got to forgive. I was reading about Corey Tim Boom this week and and her and her sister were taken to a concentration camp during the Holocaust and the reason why was because she was from a Christian family that hid Jews and they got caught and her and her sister Betsy got taken to a concentration camp and they were severely abused in every possible way. Ultimately, her sister Betsy died in that concentration camp and she herself, Corey Tim Boom, lived through it. And when the war was over, she would travel through Germany into the cities that were dilapidated by the bombs, and she would preach to the German people the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, in Munich, she was in this basement cellar of a a building that had been destroyed, and she was telling the German people about forgiveness, and she thought and she preached about how God forgives those who confess their sins, that sins can go into the sea of forgetfulness. She talked about some of her experiences in a concentration camp. As she was done talking, all the crowd left quietly. She said in those days, the German people would always get up from a meeting and just leave quietly because it was such a horrible time. But one man was pushing his way through the crowd to come towards her, and he was wearing a a brown coat, and and he had a hat, and he was kind of an older man, and he came forward and And she realized that who was coming forward was a guard who had been at the concentration camp. At one point in time, he had worn an SS uniform and had been one of the ones who beat her sister. He didn't know that she knew who he was, but he came forward and he said, I really love that you talked about how God forgives sins. And he said, I did some horrible things at a concentration camp where I was a guard. Yet I've come to believe in Jesus Christ and that he died for my sins and he defeated death. So I know I'm forgiven, but I'm asking you, 
will you forgive me? She shuffled. She didn't want to shake his hand or touch him. She was disgusted at the very sight. She thought about how she glibly talked about forgiveness from God and how in this moment of testing, she was unable even to reach out a hand to this man who was partly responsible for her sister dying in a concentration camp. She whispered a quiet prayer. She said, God, help me. I can put out my hand, but I can't mean it unless you help me. And she said, as she started to reach out her hand, a warm sensation came through her arm to her hand and then into her heart. And she said, brother, I forgive you. With all of my heart, I forgive you. And she said it was a miracle. And I thought to myself, as I read that story, I thought, Corey Tim Boom offered the world her scars. She took her scars and she went and she ministered to this world who needed it as opposed to holding grudges or bitterness or making things worse. She was willing to offer her, her scars, to absorb those scars, to not hold it against her offenders and thus to minister to many people. She was redoing in her world what Jesus had done in her life. Jesus offered his scars. You and I, we offended God, and Jesus came. And he said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. That's why I died. That's why I defeated death. Because Christ is risen, I am forgiven, and you can forgive too. You can let go of bitterness. If you're a bitter person or you're angry, you're always complaining or you're, you're always finding offense at even the smallest things in restaurants and in, in stores. We've seen those people at Target and restaurants and impatience and Beloved, as Christians forgiven, we can be the most patient people in the world. Amen. Redo forgiveness. Because I'm forgiven. I can forgive other people. Because Christ is risen, I'm forgiven. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. Enjoy God. Help your church reach more people for God. And forgive people in your life. Move on from bitterness. What do we mean by a new life? We mean a new life for us and our relationships. We mean a, a new vision for how we walk in this, in this world. Now that we've received Christ, we get to enjoy him, follow him, and forgive like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving Jesus We thank you for all the benefits. They are innumerable, countless benefits of the resurrection. We get to be new people in so many different ways, but one of the ways is knowing that we're forgiven and offering forgiveness. Heal us. Show us your scars in a way that spreads love. Show us your scars in a, in a way that presents to us that our forgiveness is complete and sure and secure and show us a way of life that begins to look like that. Help us to take the consequences and the scars that this world gives to us and to bear them patiently with your help.
In some ways, we are not the same because of hurts that have happened in our life, but we can be powerful as we forgive. Bless our church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.